Amen. While you're still standing, if you'll find your Bible once again and turn to the book of Zephaniah, chapter 2, verses 4 through 15. Uh, It's page 789 in the black uh, pew Bibles around you, but that's Zephaniah, one of the minor prophets, just a few pages in your Bible likely. So I'll give you just a moment to find it. We'll be picking up in chapter 2, starting in verse 4. I'll read from verse 3 from last week, just as it sets the, the sentence, it leads into the sentence for this week. So I'll read from verse 3, uh, Zephaniah 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his commandments. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. For Gaza shall be deserted. And Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you, uh, you nation of the Carathites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. And you, O seacoast, shall be pastures with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze, and in the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth. And to him shall bow down each in its place all the lands of the nations. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. And he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst, all kinds of beasts. Even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a lair for the wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may be seated. Lord, would you grant us understanding by the work of your Spirit uh, to know how to read, understand, apply, uh, and live out your word as it's preached today. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many stories do you know of, whether a book or a movie, where toward the end of the movie, part of the payoff is that the bad guys in the movie sort of give what's coming to them? Uh, Whether it's a wicked stepmother and wicked stepsisters exposed and denied by a noble prince, or whether it's a, a group of Nazi soldiers and commanders exposed to the terrible consequences as they open an ancient Israelite artifact, or whether an evil emperor thrown down the shaft of his own wicked battle station, or, or even on a smaller scale, just a group of bullies taken down by an old groundskeeper. We resonate with these stories, do we not? Uh, the, the, the wicked, the bad, the, the bad guys of the story, if they don't change their ways, we sort of stand up and cheer when justice comes, when uh, they get uh, this great old word, a comeuppance or desserts, not like delicious desserts, but they get their just desserts, what they deserve. I think we resonate with these stories uh, because we have the image of God in us and we know instinctively, even unbelievers have a sense that if someone goes about in wickedness, if someone goes about hurting others, that shouldn't just happen. At some point, the buck has to stop. At some point, justice should or needs to come. People cry out for justice, even if they might disagree on what's just and unjust. Today we see in Zephaniah 2 uh, the judgment of the wicked nations around Israel. And as we'll see, he, he looks to the west and east and north and south, and he lays out judgments, comeuppance, just deserts for what these nations have done in general and what they've done to the people of God in particular. And the question for us this morning, and it'll spill into next week as well, is how are we to receive passages like this when, if all God's Word is breathed out, profitable for His people, that He would build us up to be a men and women of God? How does He want us to read and understand, receive, and then live out passages uh, like this? Uh, we'll look at a, a few things today, um, but let's dive right in. Um, if you're following on your outline, you'll see three points. We'll spend most of our time on this first point because it's, 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 it's really the main focus of this passage. Uh, but uh, the topic today is the judgment of the nations. And we're going to ask, what does it mean for different people who perhaps hear this prophecy? So number one, the judgment of the nations means condemnation for the nations. Condemnation. For the nations. And you'll see the verses cover every verse of the passage, uh, but I tried to split them up in these different sections as he starts laying out the judgment on these different uh, nations. But uh, to get us uh, just acquainted again, get us back in the context of Zephaniah 2, uh, throughout this series we've been sort of uh, gathering a list of uh, tips for reading the prophets. Uh, if you're like me, you come to the prophets and, and, and each time you have to kind of remind yourself of a few things. Uh, Because it's a a genre we don't read as often. And so we said, number one, know your timeline. We need to remember when Zephaniah is prophesying. Uh, We've already said that in 722, Assyria, you'll hear about in the passage today, took Israel into exile. These ten tribes of Israel in in the north. And then God's word tells us that he sent prophet after prophet after prophet, including Zephaniah, 
but by 586 BC, Babylon sweeps through and takes Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, because they don't repent. And so Zephaniah is right in between those times, but closer to when Babylon is coming. Um, and so he is preaching repentance, not so that Babylon won't come, they are coming, but repentance in terms of Babylon's coming, people of God, will you serve the Lord or not? Will you learn from this judgment or not? And so that brings us to this book of Zephaniah. We saw in uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 6, judgment is coming. We saw in chapter um, 2 last week, really this concept of the day of the Lord that he expounds upon. And I've tried to summarize for you what we learned last week, uh, this understanding of the day of the Lord, this expected final day, final coming of the kingdom of God, and yet it pops up in smaller ways throughout history. In other words, what we would say is the second coming of Christ one day is the day of the Lord, all capitals. But throughout the history of God's people, for instance, Zephaniah's people, they would see Jerusalem coming as, as, as a day of the Lord, as this judgment that comes upon them that's just a foretaste of the day of the Lord. And we said that when the prophets speak, there's always these two sides happening, often mixed together. Uh, there's judgment and blessing. Judgment on the wicked and the nations and the unrepentant. Blessing for God's people. Even if they experience exile, uh, they're still blessing if they would follow the Lord. So there's judgment and blessing. You see that all throughout the prophets. Number two, uh, there's this sense of a now and a not yet. Uh, Zephaniah will speak like, hey, he's not using the term Babylon, but Babylon is coming. And yet then he'll spill into a verse that says the whole world will be destroyed. And he'll often bounce back and forth. There's a now and a not yet, and they're often mixed together in the, in the prophecies. That helps us understand. And then to our purposes today, there's always two, two purposes. Warning for those who are disobeying or following other gods, or comfort for those who are following Yahweh, even in the midst of exile. And so this word for you today might be a word of warning if you're not following Jesus. It might be a word of comfort for you if you're following Jesus and want to know, is he even in control of what's happening around me? And that brings us then to our passage here. Uh, and, and by the way, just two quick tips um, not to insult your intelligence, you already know these ones, but find a good study Bible. Uh, um, uh, certainly, a uh, hundred years ago even, we, we couldn't have said that from the pulpit because they weren't as available. Uh, but much of, of what we cover, a, a good study Bible, and ask me or someone else if you need a recommendation, is going to help you. What are the other verses? Uh, what's the timeline again? When is this prophet writing? A, a good study Bible is going to do 90% of that. It's so helpful. And then, Number four, don't miss the forest for the trees. Often when we get to the prophets, it could be overwhelming. Uh, when you think of, well, he's naming like Egypt and Cush, and I need to study every single one of these things, and we'll look at these different countries here, but look at the forest, and, and you see, oh, all of chapter two, he is laying out the judgment on the nations. So start with the big picture, and, and I think that's going to help us. Um, but let's dive in, right, uh, to get to the meat of it, as it were. Let's look at verse 4. Uh, verses 4 through 7 really deal with uh, the first enemy of God's people, which is the Philistines. Uh, the Philistines. Uh, look at verse 4. It says, For Gaza shall be deserted, and Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon, and Ekron shall be 
uprooted. Uh, it's interesting, and a good study Bible will help you with this. These are really four of the five uh, main cities in the land of the Philistines. Um, so if you could picture Israel on a map, um, this, this would be to the west of Israel. This would be the coastal towns in the land of the Philistines, uh, very much even as we speak of the Gaza Strip today. And so you have these four cities uh, listed, and so that's just telling us, oh, he's talking about the Philistines. Were the Philistines a big enemy of God's people in the Old Testament? Yeah, you see them throughout the Old Testament, all the way from uh, them coming out of Egypt uh, into the land. Uh, from then, uh, they, uh, all through the book of Judges, they're a constant thorn in, in, in the side of God's people, uh, through Saul and David and Solomon. And then certainly as the divided kingdom happens, they just grow in prominence. And so he continues this prophecy against them. Well, first, I mean, just, just notice these other terms uh, that show that all of these verses are about them. Uh, the inhabitants of the seacoast, that's verse 5 and 6 through 7. Uh, the Carathites, verse 5, uh, 2 Samuel 8, 18 speaks of this. They originated in, in Crete, uh, C-R-E-T-E. Uh, interestingly, verse 5 says, O Canaan, the land of the Philistines. It's sort of a unique way of speaking. Usually when we say Canaan, we're thinking of the whole land, part of which Israel uh, took in the book of Joshua. Uh, but certainly parts of the land of the Philistines were included in the land of Canaan. And perhaps he's just talking about this sort of universal scope or, or, or their pagan roots of, of, of worshiping other gods. So all of this section, Gaza, Ashkelon, all the way down to Canaan, land of the Philistines, he's looking at this enemy of God's people, and he's prophesying against them. And look at the devastating words that he uses. Uh, this coastland, which you associate being more rich and lush, will become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon, right, right in the middle of the heat of the day, perhaps in surprise or, or just the force of it is so quick. And Ekron shall be uprooted, right? Imagine a whole city being uprooted. And he says, Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of the Carathites. Imagine hearing this. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. Until no inhabitant is left. And then in verses 6 through 7, we'll come back to these uh, because you start to see not only is he destroying or promising to destroy the land of the Philistines, but he's planning to replant it with the remnant of his people, uh, with the faithful of Israel. And, and we'll return to that note in a few moments. But first we see this judgment then upon the Philistines. Uh, who's, who's next up? If we go to verse 8, um, and really verses 8 through 11 have to do with Moab and Ammon. He says, I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Uh, who were uh, these peoples? Um, it's interesting, actually, that uh, in the next verse, he says, therefore, um, and by the way, God is swearing by himself, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, Moab shall be like Sodom, and the Ammonites like Gomorrah. 
Uh, certainly the Israelites would be familiar uh, with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, these wicked cities, God brought Lot and his family out of the cities, but he rained fire down upon them. They became desolate because of their sin. And it's interesting, I didn't know this until studying this, but uh, really uh, Moab and Ammon, they trace their heritage right to that same account. Uh, so after the cities were destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Lot um, had children in a very sinful way. Uh, we'll get to go through that together, Lord willing, someday in a sermon series. Um, but Lot has illegitimate children named Moab and Ammon. And they're descended from here. So I don't think Zephaniah just sort of haphazardly compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says there will be a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a, and a waste forever. Just this visceral image, this uninhabitable land is going to be Moab and, and Ammon or Ammon. And these great enemies of the Lord. Now again, you start to see a preview of this whole first point we're saying this is condemnation, warning for the nations, right? They should heed this and say, I, I should serve Yahweh, not my gods. But all throughout this, you start to see the comfort that is for God's people, right? Look at, uh, look at verse 8, just implied. I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people. If you're God's people hearing this, how is that comfort to you? I have heard. I have seen. Uh, just like in those movies we talked about, there's, there's some stronger force or character who sees the injustice, who is able to act, and God is going to act on behalf of his people. But we'll, we will turn uh, to that in the second point. Uh, for, now, um, uh, for now, we turn to the next peoples, uh, the next uh, evil nation, and that's verse 12. He says, you also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword. Um, so we've, we've, we've looked to the west, uh, which is um, the Philistines. We've looked uh, up toward uh, the east on the other side of the Red Sea, which was Moab and Ammon. Now we look south uh, to the Cushites, um, a people perhaps... There's a difference of opinion at this point in history whether they had intermingled with Egypt so much so that this is maybe Egypt or certainly south of Egypt uh, into Africa proper itself. And, and you might think, why is verse 12 thrown in there? Um, the Philistines, I get, but the Cushites. Uh, perhaps uh, it, it, he's showing the scope of this judgment that's coming. It's, it's not just the coastlands right next to Israel. It's not just Moab and Ammon that have some tracings of history with Israel. No, even the Cushites are going to experience this kind of judgment for serving other gods. And if the Cushite shows the, the scope, then maybe the next enemy shows the magnitude of God's judgment that's coming. Because verses 13 through 15 deal with Assyria itself. He's looked to the west, the east, the south. So now where does he turn? Verse 13. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. And he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst, all kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastations will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. Verse 14. 
By the way, that tip, don't lose the forest for the trees. Uh, you can see there's debates on what particular animals these are. Uh, let me just clearly say that's getting in the weeds maybe. Uh, the, what's the main point? That a city is now going to be the dwelling place of these wild animals, right? But look at verse 15. This is the exultant city that lived securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a lair for the wild beasts. Anyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. You see that Zephaniah is very intentional in the Philistines' longtime enemy, it goes to the east, goes to the south. But his longest, or perhaps one of the long sections here, some of the more visceral imagery is Assyria. Because Assyria is big on God's people's minds. They've taken the northern tribes of Israel into exile. They are the powers that be. Uh, they are the world-dominating power. Uh, the back of your Bible might have some helpful maps. And if it does, it, it probably has one where you're zoomed in on Israel. If you want to look at the map of Assyria, you have to zoom out um, and, and see it just spills over to the northeast. It truly was a world power. When you look at Assyria and its uh, footprint, Israel is just this little speck. And that's what Israel is facing. And yet, God is preaching against even this world power. Even against this world power in its pride. In a way that I think speaks today against any nation or peoples or city or group that would want to say, I am and there is no one else. Those are purposely chosen words, right? Who gets to say, I am, but God himself? When Moses said, who, who should I say has sent me? God says, tell them, I am has sent you. God is the one who is, who was, who always be. But the wicked nations think that. The wicked nations believe, look at this power, look at this wealth. I am, and there is no other. I will always be. I can make whatever laws my heart desires. God will not care. I can crush the desire of the poor and the needy. God won't see. I can legislate wickedness and pride and death because God won't stop me. I can persecute the church, God's people, and God is not able to help them. I can celebrate evil and forsake good because God's not even real anyway. And morality is an illusion. I am New York, San Francisco, Paris, Moscow, Beijing, Tehran, Medford, any city or people where Christ is maligned instead of worshipped would resonate with what Nineveh said at this time, I am and there is no other. And so God's words here, if they would be heeded are a gracious warning to every tribe, tongue, nation, people, family, person, individual here today to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, to repent now, uh, before it's too late. 
Uh, Look at verse 11. It says, And to him shall bow down each in its place, all the lands of the nations. At this point, this is not a willing bowing down. Uh, Paul says, uh, at the end of time, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But not every tongue confessing that at that point is confessing it with joy, but with consigned resignation, recognizing now what they should have seen before, that Christ is King, that Christ died for his people, that if you would but believe in this Jesus Christ, you would have life and not death, that this word would be to you comfort and not condemnation. And so don't be like the exultant city. Don't say in your heart, I am and there is no one else. But instead, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Say, there is no sinner like me. Uh, But he died for my sins in my place that I would have life with him. Then these would be words of comfort to you. Then you would be part of Zephaniah 3.9. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all, that, call, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. That prophecy of Zephaniah, hear the judgment of the nations. Zephaniah 3, we'll look in a few weeks at, at the coming of the nations to Jesus Christ. That is being fulfilled in your midst. Would you be a part of that? and not a part of the exultant city doomed to destruction. Would you believe in Jesus Christ? And if you do, then number two, the judgment of the nations means comfort for God's people. It means comfort for God's people. Uh, I I encourage you, go go back today and, and read back through the passage with the eyes of, if I was... Faithful Israel, by God's grace, not prideful, but knowing I look to Yahweh, I need his forgiveness, I know we're going into exile, I'm receiving this word from Zephaniah. How would all the words that we just looked at, these devastating words, how would they be comforting words for you? Thinking, I'm about to go into exile. I'm about to be among these wicked nations. Not just for 10 years, for 70 years. How is this comfort? To me, and, and we already hinted at it before, right? That God hears the taunting of Moab, that he's uh, avenging his people in one sense. But look at this promise in, um, starting in verse 7. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze, and in the house of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening. Uh, hear this good word, people of God. For the Lord their God will be mindful of them, and restore their fortunes. You see, all along the way, God's people, even as they headed into exile, or the prophets that spoke to those that were in exile already, all along the way, there was always what what the term here is a remnant. Throughout all of Old Testament history, New Testament history, church history, There's always a remnant. There is always a people of God. There is always, sometimes smaller, sometimes larger, sometimes in cultural prominence, sometimes in underground churches, but there's always a remnant of people who don't bow a knee to the idols, of people who bow to King Jesus and serve him, who find his grace, who are being changed day by day, (laughs) confessing when they realize that uh, they have idolatry remaining, casting them out. And Zephaniah speaks to that remnant, which means he could speak to us. 
in these comforting words. God's enemies will one day be destroyed. God will preserve his people even in the midst of exile. If God preserved these people, certainly he could preserve us and what we're facing today. And look at his, look at his words in, in verse 9. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. These are not just formalities. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord. This is God swearing by his own name. And, 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 and the Lord of hosts speaks of his power. The Lord of the angel armies, he is able. And the God of Israel speaks of him as a covenant God who has made covenant with his people that for the sake of Abraham, for the sake of David, he will preserve a people even through the judgment that's about to come. And we know will ultimately bring through it Jesus Christ himself. And so you see this two sides of the coin of judgment and blessing. Judgment for those who would continue to reject. Blessing for those even facing historical suffering and difficulty. And God swearing by his own name. How do we begin to apply this as as you think of, and we'll continue to next week, but as you think of passages like this, and again, you might go to Isaiah and have five chapters like this and say, what do I do? (laughs) Think of it this way. Who was God writing to in Zephaniah chapter 2? In one sense, he is addressing the nations, and nations that would hear this can receive it if the church is preaching it. But at the time, it's not like Nineveh was publishing Zephaniah 2 and saying, have you read this? Like, let's really consider this. He is first and foremost primarily writing to his people. He's writing to his people these judgments on the nations that will come, certainly fully one day at the day of the Lord. And so this means, what do we do as the people of God receiving them, even as the New Testament people of God? Uh, One, uh, it means that you can patiently endure You could patiently endure injustice, persecution, suffering, because one day he will make all things right. There will be no injustice that will go unseen and unrecompensed. Romans 12, 19, Behold, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Number two, receive comfort. Know that God sees that God knows, that God is able. Just like in Exodus 2, when his people were in Egypt, it says God heard their groaning, God remembered his covenant, he saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Do you think he would see and know and have covenant promises for his people today? Whether in war-torn Ukraine or underground churches in China or the confusing mess that we live in now here? Do you think God sees and knows and is able? Number three is to be humbled. Humbled by his grace that we deserve these things. Romans 5 says, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we first got it and forsook our idols. No, while we were still enemies, while we were just like these nations, Christ died for us. And he opened our eyes by the Spirit. And lastly, receive 
these passages as warning passages that are meant to open your eyes. We're going to look at this next week, uh, but for now, as a preview, point number three is that the judgment of the nations means warning for the complacent. Again, we'll look next week, but verse 13 through 15 ends with Nineveh, that exultant city. Chapter 3 begins speaking about another city of Jerusalem. And so you see what the prophet is doing. He set up the people. He said, here are your enemies. They will be destroyed. But lest they think that the only application is to celebrate and to say, ha ha, we're better than the nations. He turns to Jerusalem. And so next week we'll look at what does it mean even as the faithful remnant How are we to respond in chapter 3? How are we to look inward? What does God want to say to us? You'll have to come next week to find out. What we've seen this morning is that the judgment of the nations is a theme throughout the prophets. God brings this message again and again in order to, one, warn the nations. Number two, comfort his people. And number three, as we'll see, to open the eyes of his people, to humble his people, to change his people. We have seen that God is on the throne. He will do away with our true enemies one day in full. And so remember for now what David himself says earlier in Scripture. He rescued me because he delights in me. He rescues his people. He preserves his people. He's with us now. He sees. He knows. He is able. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. That it opens our eyes by the work of the Spirit. We thank you for these words of comfort, knowing that you are in control, that what we live through now is very temporary and fleeting, even by human standards, but certainly from your perspective. I pray that we would trust in you uh, this year. I pray for those who have not bowed a knee to King Jesus, that these words, your word today would, by the work of the Spirit, open their eyes to see their need of Christ and that they would throw themselves upon him in faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.